Let's uh, let's go ahead and uh, turn in our Bibles to the book of Hebrews this morning. Uh, Hebrews chapter five. Hebrews uh, chapter five. <clears throat> Pulling out my cell phone, not because I want to uh, check Facebook or anything, but uh, that clock back there seems to have uh, have a battery issue or something. <laughs> it, got, uh, it got changed, uh, um, uh, and uh, but it's like way off, way off. So <clears throat> just uh, uh, what's that? It's fighting daylight savings. Yeah. We, we all want to fight that. <clears throat> you know, I just got to say this. There's something very sad when the entire government says, yeah, daylight savings is a stupid thing. We shouldn't do it anymore. But yet we still can't seem to get just that one thing done in our government. Just one thing. We ask one thing and they can't seem to even do that. It just doesn't inspire hope in whoever's in running the show. So <clears throat> that, 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 that being said, I'll, I'll get off that, but <clears throat> I don't want to, I don't want to go down that route. <clears throat> Say that again. Yeah, no kidding. <clears throat> It's, yeah, I'll, I'll keep my comments to the minimum. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about discernment, which they lack. <laughs> uh, let's go ahead and pray and we'll get started. Dear Heavenly Father, again, I thank you for this, uh, just as an hour, Lord, we can just sit and study your word and uh, study about how to make decisions and choices in our life and the judgment and discernment that you've called us unto. And Lord, I just pray that uh, as we do seek your will in our day-to-day lives, that Lord, this would be uh, very, very, very clear to us that uh, what we're doing, Lord, requires discernment. And it requires a spirituality that is very connected to you. I pray, Lord, that you would just uh, give me the words to speak this morning, but above all, Lord, all of our hearts would be prepared, ready to receive what you have for us. And I ask and pray this in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. In Hebrews chapter 5, um, Paul, or the, 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 the point of, uh, you know, obviously the book of Hebrews is, is uh, showing the things that uh, wherein uh, Christ is better. Uh, and as part of that, uh, when he's beginning this process of uh, uh, showing the the nation of Israel, because obviously this is a book of Hebrews, it's written to, well, Hebrews. Um, and uh, as we look to what he says here in, I want to jump down here in verse, uh, um, oh, let's just go ahead to, down here, verse 11, it says, of whom we have many things to say. And hard to be uttered, seeing ye are dull of hearing. Now, this is a, a very important principle. When we start talking about being dull of hearing, we are talking about the hearing of the Word of God. Uh, hearing God's Word is one of the most important things that we can do. Many people will engage in reading the Word of God, but they will not hear what God has to say to them in those words. Many people will attend a church service, but they will not hear what God has for them. And in order to hear, there has to be, a, if you will, a tuning 
to the Holy Spirit, listening for his words, listening for his leading, listening for his guidance and the truth. And here he is kind of reprimanding the, this group, saying you're still having a hard time hearing what God is saying. And here's one of the reasons why. He says, for when the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become uh, such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. They've actually gone backwards in their growth process. Uh, it's gotten to a point of where they, they should have been at one place, but uh, they can no longer handle what uh, God is telling them. And as he said, you know, they're, they're hard to be uttered. Many things that are hard to be uttered, they're dull of hearing. They can't hear it because they've just, they've become immature. They've retrograded. They've, they've, they've gone backwards. And he says, you know, you guys should be teaching others at this point in time, but you're not. You're, you, 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 you put yourself into a position where you have to be taught again the same principles. Again, the same principles. Uh, and, and he gets here into verse 13. He says, for everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he's a babe. Saying, okay, you guys have moved backwards in this process. You're no longer moving forward. You're moving backwards. You're becoming more and more immature. You're becoming childish in your mentality. Uh, you're in your spirituality. And one of the biggest reasons that that occurs in a person's life is found in verse 14. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, talking about maturity. Even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. So let's talk about discernment this morning. We talked about judgment uh, quite a bit over the last, uh, uh, over a couple of uh, Sunday schools. And now we're talking about this issue of discernment. Uh, and uh, Charles Spurgeon, and I've quoted this before, has said discernment is not knowing the difference between what is right and wrong, but knowing the difference between what is right and almost right. And discernment does require uh, a, a perception of what is uh, God's will, an understanding of God's will, an implementation of God's will. And if those things are not part of that, then it's going to be very difficult for a person to discern what is right and what is wrong. And they will often think what is right and may seem right and may seem right as we've talked about when we're, we're talking about change on Wednesday night. It may be one of those things of, oh, okay, well, it's a, it's a societal change. It's an outward change. It's something that we know that needs to be done. You know, if a robber stops robbing people, that's a good thing. Well, it's good in the form of a humanistic mentality. But it's better if the robber changes his ways and changes his heart and changes his attitude from being a thief to being a giver. Instead of being a taker, he is one that willingly and freely gives to those that need. He changes the heart attitude of pride and selfishness to care, compassion, and and, and desire for someone else. So we see that God is talking about this in regards to having a person's exercise, excuse me, senses exercised to be able to sense that. 
to determine that. You know, some people like to think that they've got, uh, you know, the ability to sense when they're being lied to or the ability to sense danger when it is near or something of that nature. And and and, and they, they, they think of it and they often will call it some sort of an intuition or something something along that lines. But, but, but the end result is this. The only way that we can do it in a spiritual manner that we are glorifying God is that it requires... Above everything, it requires us to have a change of heart. We have to take a look at it and say, okay, am I doing what is right? And am I doing what is wrong? Or am I just kind of almost there and doing that which is right in my own eyes? I, I need to be able to discern that. And what we find here in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11, is he says that uh, uh, their senses are exercised to discern both good and evil meaning that it is a building up process. When you exercise, you're building up stamina, you're building up endurance, you're building up muscle, you're building up uh, your body to, to, to be better. You know, the doctors are talking to me and they're saying, okay, well, you've got to, uh, uh, you've got to build up some endurance. You've got to build up some, some stamina. You've got to build up, uh, you know, these certain things because this is what we're, where we want to see you be at a certain point in time and so on and so forth. But, but it, it's a process of, of exercising. Now, you know, there's a lot of people that cling, cling to that verse, bodily exercise profiteth little. Uh, but but I will tell you this, spiritual exercise has a profitability that exceeds anything that we find in this world. Anything. And what happens is you have to exercise making that choice of what is good frequently. The reason that we make bad choices is because we have exercised ourselves to make those bad choices. We've built that up. We've built it up into a mentality where, where what winds up happening is, is we get so caught up in this, this mentality of, hey, I, you know, that's the default choice. That's what I go to. And I almost want to say it seems like a behavioral conditioning, but it's not. We're not animals. We're not Pavlov's dogs. We have a willing choice. And the reason that we make those choices is because we choose to make those choices. Because we have exercised it over and over and over and over and over again. If a person exercises improperly, they're either going to build up a muscle that's going to cause an imbalance in their body, or there's going to be an injury that occurs. Uh, when I was weightlifting in college, there was, you know, all these individuals that go, these guys that get in there and these, you know, young men have got to be about one of the dumbest creatures that has ever been formed on the face of the earth. And, uh, and, 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 and right next to it in, 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 you know, in unison are young women too. Let's make sure we understand that. Um, You know, there is no special sense that God gave women or God gave men. God gave us the scriptures, and that's what we use. And young people today often get into this mentality of, oh, I don't need that. Ah, Okay. 
And, and I, I remember being in there and I was, I was in there for a purpose. I was in there for a reason and I was doing all of this and I would watch some of these guys get in there and, and, and go to the weight rooms and they'd walk over and they would grab a hold of a 35 pound, you know, uh, um, weight and they would start trying to do these curls. And they'd grab a hold of them and they're just like, yeah, 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 like that. And then just like dropping to the ground. And I'm sitting there going, you are going to be so messed up by the time you're done. There was no exercise. You know what it was? It was a bunch of show. They wanted to impress the girls. They wanted to impress those that were, that were in the, in the, 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 the gym. Look at what I can do. The end result is that they just wind up hurting themselves. They hurt their backs. They hurt their shoulders. They hurt their, their, their arms. And it starts off with small, small movements, specific, dedicated movements, not just flopping your arms around and throwing these weights. It requires, you know, picking up the weights that you can do, building it up, and then slowly increasing. So as we look at what God's talking about here, he's saying discernment is like that. You're not going to have God-given discernment when you trust Christ as your Savior automatically downloaded. It's not a Microsoft software update, okay? It doesn't work that way. You have to build it up. There are levels, maturity level. You cannot expect a five-year-old to act as mature as somebody that's 50 years old. And I understand sometimes it seems reversed, just like Paul's pointing out. He's saying these people that should be acting like mature, older adults are acting like juvenile children. They're acting like babes. So he says, let's exercise. We have to have our senses exercised to be able to discern what is good and evil. And and and, and we have to be able to if you will, and when we start talking about senses, I'm not talking about the five cents, you know, where we've got taste, touch, smell, sight, hearing, uh, um, those type of things. I'm talking about the spiritual sense of being able to realize when God is talking to you. Being able to realize what God's will for your life is. Being able to realize when you need to pray. Being able to realize when to keep your mouth closed, and when to open it. These are the senses that that we have to to do. We have to exercise that. We have to discern, as he says here, both good and evil. What's going to harm a person? What's going to help a person? And here he is talking to these Hebrews, and God says, you can't tell the difference between what's harmful to another person, and what is helpful to another person. And if we look at Scripture, it becomes very clear, and and I'm talking about believers here this morning, okay? I'm not talking about those that have rejected Christ. I'm talking about believers that have received Him. These are individuals that that should have an understanding of, of how... That good or goodness, which we find as part of the fruit of the Spirit, should be applied to a person's life. And when he's talking here, you notice that in this passage, the context is, are you helping others? 
In this context, he goes in and he says, look, you know, there's some hard things to say. You're dull of hearing. You're just not getting it. He says, you ought to be teachers. What does a teacher do? They help. They help you understand. They help you understand. A good teacher is somebody that sits down and will help you understand with the knowledge of the facts what the truth of the subject is. That's what a teacher does. A teacher isn't somebody that just throws a textbook at somebody and says, read it. Teacher isn't somebody that gets in front of a, uh, in front of a class and, and blathers on in a lecture that, that's so dull that at some point in time you sit there and try to find yourself doing something else. I'll never forget when I went to my very first computer class in college. Now, when I say computer class in college, I want to understand I am dating myself because we were still using Windows, I think, 93 or something. It was horrible. It was horrific. People were all excited because the 486 chips were coming out. And you're sitting there going, what is that? Let's just put it this way. We have chips that are far outperform that. Far outperform that. And, 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 And I remember sitting there in the class, and this guy would go and drone. Talking about binary and ones and zeros. And when you get to this point of understanding the ones and zeros, you will unlock the code behind all types of different languages of software. You're like... <laughs> I, I just remember sitting in that class, sitting back going, oh my word. Now, here, here's something that you don't do. Don't put computers... The, the, the students have access to that have solitaire in front of each one of them during a boring class. I'm sitting at the back of the class. Guess what is on the screen of every single student? Solitaire. And they're sitting there just like, as he's droning on, they're droning on in the little solitaire games. And at one point in time, he looks at it at the class and he notices they're all staring at their computers and he must be thinking to themselves, oh, okay, they're getting it and they're looking into it. And he walks to the back of the classroom, turns around and looks and he's like, what are you doing? Dude. <laughs> they had to put a mandatory, no, no powering on of the computers and, you know, no turning them on. No, no, none of that. And, you know, it was ridiculous. He wasn't a good teacher. It wasn't a good teacher. I, I, I've had good teachers. I've had bad teachers. And a teacher that really truly is a teacher is somebody that really truly cares about the other person understanding. And what they have to do is they have to go through a constant process of knowing the difference between what is right and what is wrong, what is good and what is evil, so that they can teach that to someone else. So that they can say, you know what, hey, this is a bad decision. You want to know why? Because I did it. Hey, this is a good decision because here's what's happened. I saw the grace of God. I saw what God did in my life, and it was far better than anything I could have ever imagined. This is the good thing you need to choose. This is the good thing you need to choose. 
You go over to the book of Jonah, Jonah chapter uh, 4. Mike was talking about this um, on Sunday nights in Jonah chapter 4. And in verse 11, at the end of this, as as Jonah is sitting there in his bitterness, mad that God did not uh, burn Nineveh to the ground, and uh, uh, God asks Jonah, you know, doest thou well to be angry? And, uh, of course, Jonah is justifying himself. And uh, um, in, in the last part of the book, he, he, he just at, ends it with this question about asking whether or not he should show mercy. And it's rhetorical, because if we know who God is, God is a merciful God. God is a merciful God. And in verse 11, it says, And should I not spare Nineveh, the great city, wherein more than six score thousand persons uh, cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand, and also much cattle? He says, you know what the issue with, with with Nineveh was? Is they couldn't tell the difference between what was right and what was wrong. And they had habituated themselves into such a state that their stink of sin had raised itself to heaven that God said, I can't allow this to go on any longer. And when we realize that that's the mental state and the spiritual state of the uh, of the Ninevites, we begin to understand where God wants us to get this change so that we can know the difference between what is right and what is wrong. Have you ever been racked with a decision? You've got to make a choice. You're trying to figure out what is right, what is wrong, and you're trying to, you know, weigh all the pros and the cons, and you're trying to do all of those things in order to somehow, some way, try to, if you will, divine what what you're supposed to do. Leave, leave all that to God. Don't mess with the divination of playing around with, you know, chicken bones and throwing them out there or tarot cards. And I, I hate to say that, but some Christians, that's the way that they operate. Some Christians, every single morning, you know what they do? The first thing before they open their Bibles and begin to read, they open up the newspaper or go online and check their horoscope. No! Absolutely not! That's divination that God said is strictly forbidden. Why would you do that? Why would you think that the stars have any guidance over your life at all? It's either you're walking in the spirit or you're walking in the flesh. That's going to be your decision-making process. Like all of a sudden, somehow, some way, that 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 uh, that that uh, horoscope is going to tell you exactly what's going to happen in your life, whether you should stay in bed or go to work. Whether it's going to be a good day or whether it's going to be a bad day. I'll tell you this. You want to know how I have a good day? Start off with joy and thanksgiving in your heart that you're even alive. That you got out of bed. That you're saved, born again, child of God. That you got a Bible that you can read. Pray all the way to work while listening to godly music or listening to scripture. Listening to sermons. Go to work and just continue to give thanks for God, regardless of what happens. Avoid murmuring and complaining. Be content where you're at. Come home. Be thankful that you made it through traffic. Alive. Unscathed. Be thankful for the food that you have. Go to bed. Be thankful that you have the bed and you have the roof over your head that you do. 
You want to have a good day? That's how you do it. Why? Because your heart is continually directed to God. The bad days happen when we look at other things. We, we deviate from that. I want you to go over to 1 Kings. 1 Kings chapter 3. Beginning of this book, we have Solomon taking the throne. There's, of course, a lot of family drama. Because, well, it's not a family unless you got drama. Amen? <clears throat> it's just the way it works, right? <clears throat> um, so he, he, here is here's the Lord in verse 5 in uh, chapter 3. 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 5. It says, In Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night and said, And God said, Ask what I shall give thee. I remember reading that as a child sitting there going, what would I ask for? Would I ask for the same thing Solomon did? Well, I was not a king. Would I ask for money? Would I ask for health? What would I ask for? I tell you, it's a good question to, to ask yourself. And, and if you will, begin trying your heart. Begin revealing what is it that you really desire. If the ask is, Lord, I just, I just, I just want to know you more and I want to be closer to you more every single day, then be content with that, regardless of what happens with the rest of the circumstances and the rest of the environment and the rest of the situations around you. But here is, is asked and Solomon said, Thou hast showed unto thy servant David, my father, great mercy according as he walked before thee in truth and in righteousness and uprightness of heart with thee. And thou hast kept him for this great kind, uh, kept for him this great kindness that thou hast given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. And now, O Lord, my God, thou hast made thy servant king instead of David, my father. And I am but a little child. I know not how to go out. Or come in. Solomon began his reign going, I have no idea what I'm doing. I, I have an, uh, he's a good friend of the family. I've known him for a long time. And, uh, this individual, uh, he went in to go get a job. And he walked into this job just applying. And he was able to get through the interview and he was able to talk the lingo. The guy really liked him hired him, but he had no idea how to do the job. We're talking about very technically oriented job, like engineering, machining, things of that nature, stuff he had never done before in his life. He got hired. He went into this job and uh, immediately walks in and sees the employees that now report to him. And he has no idea what he's doing. Talk about getting found out real fast. Guess what? He would be. He goes up to one of the people that's been there the longest, knows the most, and says, look, I have no idea what I'm doing. But if you teach me, I will learn, I will listen, and I will be the best manager that you've ever had. He said, I don't know how I got this job, but I'll do it this way. However you want this, 
you know, however you teach me is how I'm going to go ahead and approach this. And the guy said, okay. Rather than reporting him and doing anything of that nature, he said, I'm just going to teach you, and he taught him. You took a lot of humility to go in and say on your first day of job, I have absolutely no idea what I'm doing. I need you to teach me to your employee, to the person that reports to you. And well, here's Solomon coming up to God and saying, I'm going to start off with humility. I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm a child. Children have no idea what they're doing. You, you give a five-year-old the keys to the car, guess what's going to happen? He's going to lose the keys or the car's going to get wrecked if he actually gets the thing started. I mean, we begin to understand that Solomon realizes he's got no idea what he's doing. Now, remember, Solomon is later described as wise above all other men. And here we see, he says this in verse 8, he says, And thy servant is in the midst of thy people which thou hast chosen, a great people that cannot be numbered nor counted for multitude. Give therefore thy servant an understanding heart to judge thy people that I may discern between good and bad. For who is able to judge this so great, uh, uh, so great a people? What he's asking for? God, I need discernment. If I'm going to be a judge in front of all of these people, I need to be able to discern what is the difference between what is good and what is bad. And this is where we come and we begin to make up those two thought processes of judgment and discernment, and we realize how closely they're related. You cannot make a good judgment call if you can't discern what's right and what is wrong. You cannot exercise righteous judgment if you can't tell what is righteous and what is unrighteous. And this is the concept of discernment. He makes it very clear there, and he says, I, I need this. I, 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 need, I need a change in my heart. I want an understanding heart. And I want you to understand this. When it comes to discernment, discernment is not a head thing. There's one point you get from this, from this this morning. I want you to understand this. Discernment is not up here. Discernment is down in here in the heart. We may think that we know, but it's our heart that should be led of the Holy Spirit guiding what we think. And he says, I need understanding. Why do you think Proverbs is all about knowledge, wisdom, understanding, instruction? Because Solomon realized that that is what is the most important thing that a believer is going to need in this Christian life. That's what draws us near to God. Because we have to go to the teacher, we have to go to him and say, Lord, teach me, I don't know. Lord, show me, I don't know. And discernment starts with the humility of heart. Not only is it an understanding heart, but it's the humility of heart. To be able to go and say, God, I don't know, I don't get it. Not sitting there and playing around with it and thinking that we know better, right? Because often is the case, what do we do? We do exactly that. We're all guilty of that. We're all guilty of that. We sit around and we think we, we know what's best and we, we try to do it the way we're going to do it. And, 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 and when the Holy Spirit's like, 
I don't know if that's a good idea. Right? The Holy Spirit has to be leading us and guiding us in that direction. Discernment is to be desired. Discernment is to be desired. And God grants it to him. God grants it to him. It pleased him. And in verse 10, we see that it's very clear. And, and he says, you know, you, you didn't ask anything for yourself. You asked for someone else. And this is where it becomes very, very important. Judgment and discernment is used for others. Judgment and discernment is used for others. We make calls and judgments in our own lives, but at the same time, when we do that, we are setting a witness, we are giving God glory, we're giving praise so that others can see the goodness and the greatness of God. If they're not seeing that in your life, then there is a problem in your life. If people look at you and go, you're a Christian? And they give you that little hairy eyebrow raise. There's something you need to step back and look at your life and say, okay, I, I, I messed up here. Something's wrong. Something's not right. And he says, I'm going to go ahead and give that to you. He says, I'm going to go ahead and give that to you. Verse 11, it says, and God said to him, because I was not, uh, because I was asked this thing, and thou hast not asked for thyself long life, neither hast asked riches for thyself, nor hast asked the life of thine enemies, but thou hast asked for thyself understanding to discern judgment. He says, I'm going to do that. I'm going to give, I'm going to give you wisdom. This is what you want. I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to make plain the things that are considered dark sayings. And we find that throughout his life until he decides to turn away from God because he was led astray, uh, because he willingly allowed his heart to be affected by something else. But this is judgment. I want you to go over to the book of Matthew. The book of Matthew. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 16, spe- specifically. There's a parallel passage over in Luke, but I want to focus on, on Matthew here, in Matthew chapter 16. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 16, we find the beginning part of this, the Pharisees are asking for a sign. The Pharisees also came with, uh, uh, also with the Sadducees came and uh, tempting him, desired him, that he would show him a sign from heaven. If you're God, I want you to, 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 you know, do something spectacular. Put on a show for us. Put on a show. And he answered and said unto them, when is, uh, when it is evening, ye say, it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be foul weather today, for the sky is red and lowering. Oh, ye hypocrites, you can discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the times. You know what part of the problem was is that they could not discern time. When it comes to the two things that we have to discern, according to the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 8, verse 5, it's time and judgment. We just saw very clearly Solomon saying, I I need to be able to judge correctly. 
I need discernment to be able to do that. Also, the same thing with time. The same with, thing with time. There's always, it always amazes me. Something that you should, you know, just frequently do. And some people like to quote unquote pride themselves in this. And some people uh, are, are, are immediately humbled when this happens. Sit down and uh, say, well, I'm going to, I'm going to time myself for a minute. I'm going to put a minute on the clock and I'm going to sit there and I'm going to count. And some people do the 1,001, 1,002, 1,003. Some people do one Mississippi, two Mississippi, three Mississippi, four Mississippi, whatever it is. And, and I, I remember, this is going to sound horrible, but please understand that this is, this is, this is just how, 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 how God used my dad to teach me something about time. He's like, you need to be able to understand time, son. Why? He says, because you never know when you're going to need to throw a grenade. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, oh, grenades, you know, you, you see them in the movie and somehow miraculously they pull the pin and they throw it and then boom, it explodes right at the right time. Some movies get it right where they throw it and it just sits there and then the guy kicks it back to the guy that threw it or whatever, you know, right? Sometimes that happens. Why is that? Because it's a time delay fuse. And he said, this is, this is how he was trained. He said, you pull that pin, you flip the spoon, and that's the thing that flips off and the fuse is live. It's burning. And he goes, 1001, 1002, 1003. He says, by the time that thing is 1003, that thing better be downrange. Otherwise, you're going to be missing a few pieces. And depending on what type of grenade it is, it depends on, you know, the, the type and manufacturer and the country and so on and so forth, however long the delay is, you know, five seconds. However, you know, the, the plan is of whatever it is you're trying to do. But there's a delay. And I remember thinking to myself, well, that's kind of an odd thing. But you know what? It does mean something. You know, there's a time to do a certain thing. Ecclesiastes chapter 3. There are certain things that you need to do at a certain time. Somebody's going through, uh, uh, um, you know, uh, a horrible thing. It's just it's generally not the time to go and, 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 and start cracking jokes about it. There's stuff that has to be done at a certain point in time in a certain way. And when we start talking about this time, he's saying to the Pharisees, he's saying, you can't determine, you can't, you can't discern what the signs of the times are. You can't take a look around and go, wow, we are involved in a bunch of iniquity and this is exactly what God warned us that we were supposed to not be in and we need to make sure that we change because God's judgment is going to come upon us. Can't discern the time. Can't discern the time. Because again, that becomes good and evil. I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to God coming back. Amen. Oh, so am I ever. I, you know, <clears throat> health wise, yeah, I could say that, but, uh, you know, wickedness wise, just looking at the world and all the stuff that's going on, yeah, I, absolutely. I can't wait for the Lord to return. 
Can't wait for him to set up his kingdom. I can't wait for us to be called up out of here, get that new body, have, have, the, have that time with the Lord. I, I just, it's just, I look forward to that. And as those days grow, as, as that day grows nearer to the Lord calling us out of here or till closer till I pass away, I will tell you this, it becomes very, very apparent about time. I'll use this illustration again. I remember when all of this garbage with my health started, and I remember sitting in the ER, and the doctor walking in and says, we need to perform emergency surgery to remove the cancer from you. And it hit me. It hit me. What do I do? Here I am, 48 years old, sitting in an ER in a darkened room trying to get some sleep. And the doctor walks in and just, he will, lays it out there. Praise God he was wrong. Praise God he was wrong. But I will tell you this. A lot of thoughts, a lot of emotions, a lot of everything just hits you like a freight train when that happens. And you just sit there and you go, oh my God. Not in vain, but calling out to him. And I remember just sitting there going, I'm 48. If I live through this, maybe I'll make it to 50. Okay. Am I going to lament what I'm going to lose? No, because I haven't lived it. Am I going to lament over the potential? No. Why? Because that's time that I don't have. That's not promised to me. That's not something that, that God said, oh, Ken Stewart, you're going to live to a ripe old age of uh, 99 years old. Oh, even some quick, come quickly, Lord Jesus, okay? He didn't promise any of that. You know, over there, and somebody says, well, over in Psalms, it says, you know, 70 years old. Yet, there's a lot of people that didn't live past 70. I know a lot of people that didn't live past 30. I know some people that did not live past 25. Our life is but a vapor. And I remember sitting there thinking to myself, well, Lord, I'm just going to be thankful for what I have and whatever time I have left, I'll just continue to use it for you till you, till this is over. Because I can sit there and just, you know, whine and cry. And there were tears. Don't, don't get me wrong. Fear sets in. You know, loss sets in. But at the same time, it's like, okay, what does that do? It means I need to get a lot closer to God. That's what it means. I need to get a lot closer to my Savior. If I only have a few years left, I gotta, I, I gotta get a lot closer. The Lord's continued to extend my life. Praise God for that. 
But I have to be able to discern what time am I using? Am I redeeming the time as it says in Ephesians 5? Am I using what God has given me the correct way for His honor, glory, and praise? That's the good, by the way. When I use it for myself, it's the evil. When I use it selfishly, I have to remind myself, what know ye not that you are the temple of the Holy Ghost? What know ye not that you are bought with a price? Do you not know these things, Ken Stewart? What's going on inside of you? I want to turn to a couple of passages. We'll, we'll be done. We'll move on to, 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 to a little bit more about this next week, but I want to take a look at two passages. I want to take a look at uh, Proverbs chapter seven. And then we're going to go over to Ezekiel. <clears throat> but Proverbs chapter seven. Proverbs chapter 7 talks a lot about the forward and strange woman, right? If you've read this passage, there's a lot that's could be compared there about what's going on, and it's uh it's a it's it's a very disturbing chapter if you're not in the will of God. But it's also a very distinct warning if you are in the will of God not to get out of it. But I want you to notice something that Solomon did here. Solomon was given that discernment. And in verse 6 it says, For at the window of my house I looked through my casement, and I beheld among the simple ones I discerned among the youths a young man void of understanding. He immediately was able to determine by just looking at the individual, this guy doesn't know his head from a hole in the ground. This guy is going to get himself into trouble. The way he walks, the way he carries himself, and the interaction that he has. And what we find here is it says, I discerned among the youths. He discerned that there was going to be some great evil and harm come upon him. Nothing good. Nothing good. And this is part of why we have to have this discernment, if you will, as as an exercise. We have to discern how we're going to make the choices for what is right and what is wrong, what is good and what is evil. And he very immediately sees this individual in such a way and discerns him as he's incapable of making the right decision. He can't make the right choice. And if you turn over to the book of Ezekiel, and let's turn there, Ezekiel chapter 44, and we'll close with this, and we'll move on to it next week, a little bit more, a little more in detail. Exodus, or it's not Exodus, Ezekiel chapter 44. <clears throat> I'm talking about the priests, and I've talked about this before, and one of the main important roles of the priest was to do what? Was to show the people what is good and what is bad. What is good, what is evil, what is right, what is wrong. And look at what he says here in verse 23, and talking about the priest, he says, And they shall teach my people the difference between holy and profane, 
and causeth them to discern between the unclean and the clean. Sometimes it's hard to tell. You know, we open up something in the fridge that's been sitting there for a little bit longer than it should, and we give it the sniff test, right? Sometimes we open it up and look inside, and, okay, is there anything fuzzy? Is it kind of separated? What's going on? You know, look at the expiration date, whatever it may be, however we go about doing it. But 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 we can discern. Isn't that interesting? You open up something and you you you, you crack open that you know package of salami that's been sitting in there for five years, and it's that distinct rotting meat smell, and you're like, oh, and it just smacks you in the face. You're like, I'm not eating that. Why? Because you'll die. That's why. You'll wish you'd never even seen that salami. But I'll tell you this, the idea and the concept of what God is telling the Hebrews over in Hebrews chapter 5 is that one of their primary roles and responsibilities was to teach what is the difference between unholy and holy, profane and what is uh, um, uh, the difference between holy and profane, and to discern between the unclean and the clean. How would the Gentiles know what is clean and what is unclean? And we're not talking about the difference between pork and beef. We're talking about doing what is right and what is sinful. What is righteousness and what is unrighteousness. That was the concept of the nation of Israel. And I will tell you this, uh, God used the nation of Israel to teach us that, didn't he? We clearly see what the wrong thing to do is, and we often see what the right thing to do is. He makes that difference. We're able to discern. Now next week we're going to pick up with a little bit more of this. We're going to start looking at some issues of how we exercise that discernment today. One of the key important components that Paul talks about over there with uh, the church at Corinth and, and, and why it becomes so vitally important about the word of God being used to discern. And I'm just kind of wetting a little bit of the appetite, but I will tell you this, if you want to know how to discern, you've got to know this book. You've got to know what is in between these covers. You've got to know what the pages say. You have to be able to hear and not be dull of hearing. Otherwise, we're not going to be able to show how great and mighty our God is, because we're not going to know the difference between good and evil. We're not going to be able to know the difference between good and evil. Let's go ahead and close with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, again, I thank you for the time that we've had. Thank you again, Lord, for just broaching the subject and beginning to talk about it. And Lord, what you've guided and directed us according to your word. I pray, Lord, that we'd be humble of heart and, Lord, we'd be understanding of heart, Lord, to be able to receive that discernment that you that you want us to exercise our senses with. And, Lord... I pray that we would just do that which pleases you, honors you, and glorifies you. I thank you again, Lord, for just this time that we've had. Pray, Lord, you continue to meet with us and teach us for the 11 o'clock hour. And this I ask in your son's precious and holy name, Jesus Christ. Amen.